The crimes, the criminals, why did they do it? Who got hurt? Did they meet justice or commit the perfect crime? You'll find all the clues at Jim Harold's Crime Scene. Welcome to the program. I am Jim Harold, and so glad to be with you today. And no show or discussion of true crime would be complete without a program on Jack the Ripper. And certainly we've done those in the past, but it's been a long time. And yet the fascination with Jack the Ripper goes on and on and on. And we're going to talk to an expert about that today. And you just heard him there, Alexander Parker. He is a published research psychologist with multiple degrees. Uh, He has worked extensively in academia at both the university and college levels, even teaching courses for the American Navy. And he's written three books on the Jack the Ripper murders, and we're very much looking forward to speaking with him today about them. He is uh, an accomplished author and lives in East London. We're talking about Alexander Parker. His latest is Jack the Ripper, A Cold Case Investigation. Alexander, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. It's an honor to come on. I mean, with someone with such a erudite background and degrees and all the different things you've done, uh, what is it about the Jack Ripper case specifically that has really gotten you into this world and made you write three books on it? Well, my birth, I was born in East London and um, all my family came from East London. And one of the things that struck me when I was in academia was that it was considered to be perhaps, in regard to your career, not not a subject that you would normally research and publish on. But the thing is, because it was my people um, and my area, and I knew the area so well, that I decided to have a go at it and do it in a different way this time, Jim. Not do it in the old ways, but take a new perspective on the crimes. So you took a new perspective. In what ways? I mean, what ways do you think you broke out of the mold and looked at this differently? Well, in the past, it would be reasonable to argue that most of the analysis was historical in basis and historical in approach. I decided to take what I called um, a a semi-forensic approach and go towards the data and just stick with the data. Because they say in the book that when you look at most of the books that have been written, they fall into two types, Jim. They they fall into the, well, I'm going to summarize the facts so that people can get a feeling for the murders and, and the whole context of it. Or I want to take the facts and make them fit my pet subject, hmm. my, if you like, my my Jack the Ripper, the person I, I think Jack the Ripper was. Well, I took an entirely different way. I decided to find out what Jack the Ripper had to have in his makeup and behavior to be Jack the Ripper. And then in that way, through a method called specificity, I was able to get the core Jack the Ripper in a nutshell. And then that's when I started looking at suspects, only when they matched what Jack the Ripper was and not beforehand. 
Well, it's interesting because I was looking over your most recent book, and this is not like you're not glossing over anything. I mean, you're going in great detail looking at a psychological profile, physical profile, uh, looking at some of the criteria the FBI uses. I mean, you really took a 360-degree approach to this, didn't you? I did. I decided that if it was going to be sold, it was only going to be sold in a new, uh, a new way, uh, and a pro- the same data, the same evidence, if you like, but um, analysed completely differently to any other type of Jack Ripper. And uh, I believe uh, Paul Begg, one of the respected Ripperologists, said that my book was there wasn't you won't find anything like it, more or less quoted in that. And I was pleased he said that because when he reviewed it. He looked at it and he realised it was a completely different type of book uh, to all the others, and that was Jack Ripper Designed for Death in 2018. But of course, I've found an awful lot of other things out since then, Jim, and uh, I've added them into the books as I've gone along. Now, some people would say... It, this is the coldest of cold cases. Uh, you're talking about something well over 100 years ago. There's nothing yes. new that can be added. Uh, the, the, the trail is too cold. We're never really going to know who the, the Ripper is. How do you respond to maybe people saying something like that? Well, some of the, you know, what you would describe as top Ripperologists have said that. They've said, oh, I don't think we'll ever find out. But, of course, that to me is part of an orthodoxy which guides perception and thought about different matters. And if everyone goes around saying, oh, well, it can't be sold, then it won't be sold. But I didn't do that. I mentioned in both books, uh, two, well, the two latest books, that I didn't actually consult any of the top preferologists because I wanted to do something clean and without orthodoxy on it. And as a result, I think I, well, Readers will have to judge for themselves, but I think the case that I have against my prime subject has more evidence and weight of evidence against him than nobody else in Ripper history. And, as a result, and, yeah, and, and as is, a result of doing this, and it's, and I'm not going to because certainly we want no. people to check out the books. So I'm not going to ask you who it is, yeah. but is it someone known, or is this a whole new suspect? No, in fact, the. The man in question is also from the East End um, history because he's involved in one of the other really major, um, I suppose you would call it, um, stories about the East End, and that is, of course, the Elephant Man. Uh, He was somebody who took in the Elephant Man and wrote about you in a book, and so he was well known at the time. Uh, and has been well known, and even appeared in the, in the film, uh, the Elephant Man. With interesting, interesting. Yeah. Now, um, it, what you're saying is interesting because a lot of times, even in you know, kind of, and there is science to this, of course, but into scientific breakthroughs are found by neophytes or people who have never looked at the question through what we would call a mainstream lens, in the sense that. Sometimes the biggest benefit is not knowing what you don't know and also not knowing what's, quote, possible and impossible because there are these self-limiting beliefs 
that well it yes. couldn't be this person it couldn't be that person and you've ruled right. you've ruled half the suspect yeah. pool out before you've looked at anything just because somebody else said that was the case yeah that's right with my specificity method it put simply for listeners and viewers what i'm doing is trying to find the essential of things the form and function of objects are what causes our memories to respond to them when we see them again and in such cases once i found uh, the essential jack the ripper i knew i could in a sense from a research and investigation point of view as, as say a police researcher might do you could eliminate enormous numbers of suspects because they didn't fit the uh, specificity, 10 specificity aspects of what made Jack the Ripper who he was. And some of these would include medically skilled, uh, living in the area, being the right age because of eyewitness testimony, and being the correct build, which was, you know, quite powerful and strong. And um, so when you looked at all these things, you were, I was able to take them in a nutshell and use them to, I would say, eliminate 80-odd percent of uh, suspects, normal suspects, the usual suspects, if I might make a joke, <laughs> related to the film. <laughs> yes, exactly. Great movie. Just watched that last yeah. year again with, uh, with my, uh, yeah. my, my uh, college-age daughter, and it was, uh, it was great because it was like a fantastic movie. Uh, even regardless of the weirdness with Kevin Spacey, but that's a whole different, uh, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. a whole different topic. Yeah, uh, but um, anyhow, uh, I think I read somewhere that the, you were talking about the Elephant Man that the elephant man was buried in the same cemetery as the Jack the Ripper victims. Is that true? Uh, well, yes, it would be. Uh, certainly one of them, probably Mary Kelly or one of the others. I'm, I'm not absolutely sure on that fact, uh, Jim, but um, the thing was he was, um, he was examined in a post-mortem and um, obviously his bones were considered to be medically very significant. So, of course, they were uh, taken and uh, remodeled so that they had mm -hmm. exact uh, replicas of the bones and the structures. So um, it's argued by some that that shouldn't have happened, but um, there you go. But whether it's exactly the same East End um, or East London, Cemetery. I'm not absolutely sure on that, Jim. Now, uh, what do most people get wrong? What themes do they get wrong about Jack the Ripper? Things that are kind of considered, oh, everybody knows this, but this yeah. turns out to be wrong. What are some of those things? Well, originally, of course, he was considered to be a God's house knife man, somebody that knew and walked on the streets uh, with the victims and knew the victims. And um, he was, you know, probably, uh, probably trying to uh, extract money from them. There was a, a gang that um, used to do that. And uh, some people have said that those prostitutes were constantly harassed by people with a knife at times in dark corners, extracting money from them. So that was one stereotype of Jack at the Doss House. Um, gang member who was extracting money from them. Another one was um, 
that it was um, a peer of the realm and the whole thing was covered up because, you know, it would bring such disrepute on the ruling classes at the time. Uh, he was, if you like, uh, somebody that came out slumming, as it was called back then, and going around the East End, picking up the prostitutes and then killing them. In some cases, um, it's argued that uh, that was uh, another typical one, and it involves in you know quite a number of um, quite high up people in Victorian society in London at the time. But again, that hasn't turned out to be true because the documentary evidence isn't there. Another uh, classic one was that it was Mary Kelly's uh, main lover. Uh, and that he killed the other women to scare Mary off the streets because mm -hmm. he was jealous of other people um, who, if you like to say, were coming into her room um, at Miller's Court and taking time away from her, and he got jealous. And uh, it's argued that that is kind of, oh, well, it's, that's the most likely thing because most women are killed by associate, men associates that they know. But there's been so many people put forward. I mean, Dr. Bernardo was put forward, but none of them really fitted any of the evidence, which is why I never really... I, I did go over in my first book uh, the fours and against each of these types of characters. But um, I knew after I'd been researching for a year or two that they didn't fit any of the main aspects of what Jack the Ripper was, particularly in the medical skills section. Now, uh, just to remind folks, uh, how many victims did Jack the Ripper have that we know of? Well, my research proved that there were six victims. There's five canon canonical victims who were generally accepted up until about uh, 2018 as being the main ones, five only. But, however, when I did my research, I published um, a, a kind of pretty complex method of obtaining the evidence to prove that um, Martha Tambrum was, in fact, a Jack the Ripper uh, victim too. And this is because her, the distance between her murder and the second murder in Bucks Row and the, mur and the distance between Bucks Row and the next murder, they were all the same distance. And I was able to calculate on maps that it's pretty much, given only about 6% error, it's pretty much exactly the same distance from each murder to the next. And as that distance was exactly the same, so, you know, the, the first one in George Yard's buildings was the same distance from the Bucks Row, and the Bucks Row was the same from the Hanbury Street, and the Hanbury Street was the same distance from the Burner Street, and the Burner Street was the same distance from that to the Mitre Square. And then when you get to Mary Kelly, the sixth one, you have to go back to Burner Street and then draw a line of exactly the same distance, and that takes you exactly to Millen's Court. So I, I realised straight away that she must be uh, a victim. Um, although the MO is not the same as all the others, it is sufficient to justify by 70% chance that she is a, a Jack Ripper victim. So the short answer is there were six. 
And six mothers. Uh, my my perception, if I recall correctly, were they all prostitute sex workers? Was that accurate? Sex workers, yes, or what was termed then casual prostitutes. They were sex workers, but they all had um, regular guys, men, and what they did was they turned a blind eye. The money was so, so tight, and the conditions were so desperate that, uh, that a lot of their regular men turned a blind eye. And so, yes, they, they got money for toss houses, for food, for bread, and they did it by turning what they called back then tricks um, or knee tremblers up against a wall down the dark alley. And yes, they were all, they all practiced some form of sex work at certain points, but they weren't like sex workers of today, Jim. Obviously, they had completely separate lives and it wasn't a profession. It was a necessity. Hmm. Um, was it because, I, I mean, one of the reasons, uh, and we see this today, uh, I was just at a show on John Wayne Gacy, and I mean, today, oh, yeah. relatively yeah. speaking, where um, these monsters will target people in lower socioeconomic statuses uh, because those are kind of the forgotten people. You know, if you kill somebody from high society, even back in the day, I'm quite sure that's going to get all of the the resources of Scotland Yard and really get people uh, going. Yes. Um, I mean, this, and maybe I'm misterming this, but this is more, more of a curiosity, not, oh, we lost this person, but, oh, isn't this sensational? Isn't this uh, gripping to see what's going to happen yeah. next? Almost a form of entertainment. Whereas it if is, it, yeah. Um, and that's unfortunate. Uh, but what I'm saying is, is that he intentionally, do you feel that he intentionally targeted people in, quote, lower class society because they were the forgotten people and less resources would be dedicated to finding their killer? Yes, absolutely, Jim. Um, he was um, a night killer. So what he did was he went out to find women in a certain state he was an excellent judge of their uh, physical and mental qualities by talking to them and negotiating with them. But he also knew that they were inebriated, a lot of them. And in fact, if you look at the evidence, nearly all of them were drunk or certainly mildly drunk when he picked them up. So it's definitely the case that he used his murder zone, which was very, very small and can be walked in 20 minutes. Uh, that's lengthwise. Uh, he used it to pick up certain types of of, um, of women, women um, which were fallen. The Victorians used to call them fallen women, but really, uh, their their behaviour was simply one to try and get sustenance or some kind of bed for the night, so that they were out on the streets. I mean, if you imagine there'd been three, four murders. They're still going out on the streets to get DOS money or money for gin. So, yes, there's no question you picked um, a victim type. Uh, one thing I have found in my research is he didn't pick the victims for any other purpose. They weren't individually selected except for the last victim, Mary Kelly. She was selected because she had her own room where he could do the finale 
Um, and the finale itself was uh, of such um, magnitude in terms of the types of problems that people had when they walked in. They couldn't face it. It was like the work of the devil, they said. And he'd spent a number of hours mutilating Mary Kelly. And then if you see the pictures, well, uh, they're astounding in their brutality, Jim. So he, he needed that. Why did he need it? Because he was running out of time. I did an analysis of what I call my murder window theory, which is the theory is basically this. You take the last time the person was seen alive and you take the time of the discovery of the body. Now, and, and this gets rid of the need to have a time of death. And then in the case of Jack the Ripper, you don't need it anyway because it's never going to be brought to trial. So there's nothing, you don't need alibis for somebody who's never going to be brought to trial. So what you have, in a sense, is the distance between when they were last seen alive in terms of time and when they were discovered. And what I found was that he was running out of time on the street. He was going to get caught. He nearly got caught in Mitre Square. He only had about 12 and a half minutes uh, to, to create all of the mutilations, remove the clothing, and uh, cut the throat, disembowel, put uh, Masonic uh, cuts onto the face. So he was running out of time, so he had to kill inside, otherwise his whole plan would have been um, really just destroyed because he'd have been caught in the act. Um, uh, overkill. When, you yes. know... It, and certainly that was exhibited in these cases, as I understand it. I mean, just brutal mutilation of the body yes. and those kind of things. Was that uh, yeah. now often I've heard the theory that that's when you have very powerful emotion towards someone. You know, for example, uh, you might find it in something like uh, a married couple who splits and one possessive person overkills the other one, the crime of passion, those kind of things. So why do you think that the Ripper exhibited such overkill? Was it power? Was it some kind of weird sexual gratification? Was it some kind of revenge against society or a certain class of society? What are your thoughts on the massive overkill we saw with the Ripper? Well, that is explained by the type of victim. Um, I think you'll find, if you look at the evidence in detail, that Jack the Ripper was a Puritan. A Puritan of such magnitude that just the smell and the look of these women was enough to cause a stereotyping. Uh, and that stereotyping led him to think of them as nothing more than what he considered them to be, which was lower than vermin. And so he, he would have had absolutely no qualms about killing them and mutilating them, because I'm sure that, uh, as I believe him to be, which was a very skilled uh, Whitechapel surgeon, he'd seen these, these people coming in and out of the treatment centres at, at the Whitechapel Hospital, and I believe that um, a key aspect of it was extreme puritanism, puritanism, and that puritan kind of streak led to him uh, starting a campaign, along with any, uh, very many other things uh, which are involved and talked about in the book. But he, had, he was a puritan, and so he probably thought he was doing uh, God's work, or in a sense, not God's work, but work 
to uh, clean up the streets of Whitechapel. Do you think that he was protected by certain people in law enforcement? Do you think that his true identity was known by some but yet hidden? Yes. Uh, in my books, I explain clearly how this operated and why it operated. Um, I don't think it's giving away too much, Jim, to suggest that throughout my books, I have discovered um, a link between Jack the Ripper and the head of the Met, more than one link. And, uh, for example, they, they both went to, to the same uh, Masonic Lodge to which the head of the Met was uh, the head. The Met being and, the Metropolitan Police, right? Yeah, the Met. Sorry, Metropolitan Police. And uh, the head was somebody who um, was also a head mason. He was a Royal Arch Mason. And Jack the Ripper, I believe, was, I know he was a member of that lodge, but I also believe that he had um, something against, um, his, his name is Sir Charles Warren, and I think he had something against Sir Charles Warren. Charles Warren must have done something to him, uh, and that led to uh, vengeance on his part, because he spent an awful lot of time sending letters to Sir Charles Warren and um, trying to, if you like, spend time irritating him and making life difficult for him so that he had to resign. And the truth is, Charles Warren did resign after the last murder. On the morning of the last murder, uh, Sir Charles Warren resigned. So, um, yes, why was, it, why was his name known to some and uh, why was he not caught or arrested? Because of the, of the fact that it would have brought down a large, a, a large percentage of the Masonic um, influence that uh, people had in um, Victorian society because he was a Mason and he targeted a Mason and he used Masonic ritual in his murders. He used Masonic uh, imagery in his letters, and I've proved this in the book time again. And so if it had all come out to trial, all that would have had to have been exposed and uh, it was covered up. Why do you think he stopped? Because he had a murder plan, Jim, which was based on um, a classic Masonic icon, the compass and set squares. These compass and set squares were laid over a map, Jim. Um, I won't divulge everything, but I will say this, that that uh, compass and set squares design it actually determined not only the locations uh, that he chose to kill in, it also meant that where he was when he killed, he tried to make what uh, we call uh, landscape um, context. That is, that each murder took place in front of double doors. Now, double doors are the doors um, which are referencing Masonic lodges because every Masonic lodge is based on uh, Solomon's Temple, which had double doors. And it's something that I discovered and nobody else could see. There it was in every illustration, double doors, but people didn't realize. And he also contexted um, twin posts. Twin posts um, are around or at the murders. And I do a table in one of my books to show that there are 18 contextual landscape 
um, references in the murders. So um, that's the key point that uh, when he, if you like, when he was probably discovered by the last murder or certainly by um, the, the murder in Mitre Square, he would have, they would have known the top Masons in the Met would have known he was a Mason. So um, when they saw these double doors and also the throwing of the intestines over the shoulder, uh, these are all aspects of uh, Masonic punishments, the cutting of the end of the nose and uh, cutting um, the V-marks in, in one of the um, victims' face. He was uh, essentially saying, look, here we are. There's a compass mark for you, and the compass mark is in the cheeks. Now, I won't give away other things that he did, because it's quite interesting when you read the book, you right. find we, that there are other things. Yeah, we, that's it. We want people to definitely check out the book. Do you yeah. have hope that your solution at some point will be uh, have a broader acceptance and people will say, Alexander Parker broke the coldest of cold cases, Jack the Ripper. Do you have an expectation or a hope that that's, that's going to ha happen down the road? Yes, because I think because I used objective methodology, I only used data and I organized and systematized it in such a way that each time the logical progression was there, I think it's almost undebunkable, Jim. Um, when you take the, the three books as a totality, but even the last book, which I've tried to make uh, into a sort of greatest hits type of uh, Jack the Ripper book, from my kind of perspective, my best, my best solutions, my best evidence, if you like. It's, it's kind of, I could have called it Jack the Ripper, best evidence if, if if I wanted to, but it was a cold case, so of course it's like. So yes, um, I can't see really, except for prejudice and outright jealousy or some other reason why people couldn't accept that my prime suspect now must be, if not entirely proved to be Jack the Ripper, certainly the weight of the evidence is so significant that um, he must be accepted for now as probably being the murderer. And I'd say this very briefly, the reason being that I've analysed his handwriting, his characteristics, his traits. I've been to his uh, archive. I've read things about people that worked with him. And uh, everything fits, Jim. He wrote on the same... Um, very nice writing paper when he was sending his private letters as a, a large number of the Jack Ripper letters were written on, which is Johnson, uh, Joyson, and uh, A. Pyrian's son's uh, writing paper. So we have forensic links there. I've also got a lot of forensic evidence um, about him, which is when it's all lined up and you see it all, um, it must surely be that even the most sceptical person would accept that he, he, he is a person of interest. Well, so I'm hoping, yeah, well, I'm hoping that, yes, it will be attributed to me that the solution, I did it. 
Well, you've certainly done a lot of work. I mean, when I was looking through the book, I'm just like, wow, this is not yeah. a, <laughs> this is not a pamphlet. This is really a, a lot of lot of work. Um, so I applaud you for that. So the question yeah. is, where can people find the book and more all the books and more information about your work? Yeah, I, I have a website which I'm updating quite soon, but it's uh, jacktheripper1888.co.uk. But uh, all the books are available on the Amazon Kindle store. Uh, uh, the UK is the main store, but they are available right across um, all the other Amazon uh, Kindle stores across the world. Right. And I'm looking at, I believe, the most recent one, Jack the Ripper, a cold case investigation right here yeah. on Amazon.com as well. So make sure to look up yeah. the work of Alexander Parker and Jack the Ripper. Uh, Alexander, thank you so much for joining us today. I certainly appreciate it. It's been very educational and we learned a lot about Jack the yeah. Ripper. Thank you for your time. Good. Thank you. I would just sign off by saying to anybody reads the books from a point of view of uh, an honest and open mind without prejudice, I am absolutely certain that they will be convinced that um, I've made so much progress in the case and the uh, person of interest for me, my main subject, uh, who I've concentrated on, uh, has an, an enormous chance of being Jack Ripper. Very good. Alexander, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for tuning in to The Crime Scene, and we will talk to you next time. And everybody have a great week, and I'm sure Alexander agrees. Be careful out there. Bye-bye.